0: I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 34. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Dave Laroque. Dave's a mortgage broker out of Toronto. He's been a broker for five years, and I'm absolutely stoked for this interview. Dave, are you ready to rock? Ready to go. Can you just, I always like to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Personally, I graduated with my MBA in 2000, and after having a cup of coffee at an investment banking firm and deciding that industry wasn't for me, I started at CIBC Mortgages. I worked for all the different channels in a consulting role. I worked for Ed Gettings, who now runs uh, Street Capital, and I I gravitated towards non-prime lending, which at the time was a very fast-growing, exciting industry. And ended up leading CIBC's Access Program for a couple of years before going on to Exceed Mortgage uh, back in the heyday of of non-prime lending and had a great run there for about four years. I ran uh, sales and marketing for Exceed and worked from coast to coast, got to know lots of brokers. And uh, after leaving Exceed, decided that I would uh, hang out my shingle and give brokering a try. and, And five years in, it's been terrific. My only regret is I didn't do it sooner.
0: And so, obviously, you have a lending background. You have you understand finance. You understand the economics, sort of, probably be better than even most brokers do. So, but what when you became a broker, well, was there anything that sort of surprised you about? you know, the transition from working, you know, the financial institution to becoming an independent broker?
1: Well, it's, it's very humbling when you're when you go from being a senior executive to being a commissioned sales guy whose first steps at building a business are picking up a phone and cold calling uh, busy real estate agents who get cold calls all the time and financial planners who uh, are busy and, and don't really have a lot of time to talk. So it was definitely a, uh, a splash of cold water to the ego, no question. But like with any business, uh, you have to take risk and you have to swallow your pride when you start. And uh, my probably the best decision I made early on was that I promised myself that I wouldn't question my decision to become a mortgage broker for two full years because I'd seen lots of people try it for a few months and then go back to lending And as far as I'm concerned that's an exercise in self-flagellation. Uh, the hardest part of building any business is at the early stages. And if you bail after three to six months, then you're better off just not bothering in the first place. So that decision to not evaluate uh, the move into brokering for the first two years was a good one because at the end of that first two years, things were moving well and, and uh, the t- the early days were tough, but I stuck it out and uh, bruised ego notwithstanding, uh, it was good for me in the end. It made me hungry and fear of failure is a great motivator. So uh yeah, that, that's probably the the thing that that's the hardest transition to make from an executive to uh, to a commission sales guy.
0: Right, and as a as senior executive at one of the you know bank or whatever, you're going to get a pretty good salary. So it must have didn't it to go from you know the salary with benefits and you know like an expense card to full commission. Obviously is uh so just I'm going to something you'd mentioned. I'm going to key on. You said cold calling. So when you you obviously know what you're talking about. So when you first started out, did you literally just pick up the phone and start calling realtors you knew and didn't know and try to like. So what just to walk me through a little bit of what you did there.
1: Well, it, I I rented an office uh, about a mile from my house. I I did, I figured I'd, I better get out of the house uh, every morning and and transition to an office environment. I thought psychologically that would that would be a powerful motivator. It would also keep me from from making phone calls in my pajamas. So I uh yeah, I I didn't know anybody really on the on the real estate agent or on the financial planning side, so I literally cold called people. In fact, A lot of times I would cold call people who had put their flyers through my door. So I'd say, Hey, I got your flyer. And of course they perk up thinking that, that there's a, that, that there's a lead coming. And Mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, we're happy in our home for now and not thinking of selling at the present time, but. I'm a mortgage planner who who works in your area, and given that we're both in the same stopping ground, maybe we should get together and have a coffee and and see if we could could work together. And it literally started that way, and a lot of folks were too busy. Some of them were rude, didn't want to give me the time of the day, but a few of them liked the way that I sounded. I came up with a fairly unique sales pitch, and they agreed to meet with me, and then uh, really it was just word of mouth. Uh, Any chance that I got to show either a referral source or a client or both what I could do I treated like a, like an absolutely golden opportunity and word spread that I was, that I was good at my job, that I knew my stuff and the momentum built from there. My broker of record, John Thompson gave me some great advice early on. He said brokering, starting a brokerage is a little bit like rolling a giant stone up a hill. He said it's really hard to get the stone to the top of the hill. But then he said, once you get to the top of the hill and the stone starts rolling itself down the other side, your only real problem is trying to keep up with all the business. And uh, he was absolutely prescient. Uh, that's exactly what happened in my case.
0: Right, that's awesome. Actually, example and and also just remind you to that it's going to be hard. Like, don't think that if you're jumping into this industry, even with a background in finance like you, that it's still going to be hard for the first while. And you got to commit to a time frame and not just bail in six months. Because if you would have bailed in six months, you wouldn't be where you are today. And I'm sure you probably would be regretting, you know, your decision.
1: That's absolutely true. When people talk to me about thinking about going to brokering, the analogy I use is you've you got to go down a dark tunnel and you've got to crawl through a, a pitch black, uh, dank tunnel, uh, dirt tunnel uh, to come out the other side. And if you're not committed to the decision, you get halfway through that tunnel and you want to turn around and, and come back to the side you came down on. And if you do that, then the time is just completely wasted. So you have to be prepared for the fact that for the first several months, you're going to work your butt off, Uh, you're going to have expenses because you got to build a website and if you rent an office, you've got overhead uh, to cover and you're not going to get paid any money. And if you're used to the cushy treadmill life of a nice salary job with an expense account, it's hard uh, for some people in their minds to justify doing that. So you've really got to commit yourself to seeing it through and those that do, and there are a few that do, most don't make, most who try to leave the senior corporate lending side and move into brokering in all the years I've been in this business, quite frankly, I can't think of anybody uh, who's been equally successful in the brokering side and I think in a lot of cases it's because they don't mentally commit to how tough it's going to be and force themselves uh, to a one or a two year time horizon before they before they think again. Also, it's hard. I had a great job opportunity come up about six months after I started brokering, and if I hadn't mentally prepared myself for the for, for two years being you know locked behind a door that I couldn't open, maybe I would have been tempted by that. But because I had prepared myself for a two year uh, trial that I wasn't going to alter no matter what, I turned that job down. And looking back, that was a terrific decision. And boy, am I glad I did.
0: I just want to ask you, one I don't know if you can remember this or not, but you'd said that when you were calling these people, you had this sort of a unique sales pitch. Do you remember or would you be comfortable sharing a version of what, because I'm just trying to get someone who's, you know, making the transition or what, just to give them some ideas of how to think. So what did you say to people when you would talk to them to get them to meet with you?
1: Sure. Well, the thing every broker has to do when they wake up every morning is ask themselves a simple question, which is why me? There's a lot of us out there. And if a client can, uh, or a borrower can pick up the phone and, and talk to a hundred brokers and you say, I've got great service and really low rates. Well, you've just made two ubiquitous claims that every one of your competitors makes as well. And even though everybody claims they provide great service and very few do, it is a ubiquitous claim. So when you make it up front, it has no real currency to the borrower because everybody makes that claim. So the pitch that I used was twofold. I said, number one, I have come from the lending side of the business and all of the years that I worked in lending were in senior management. So when I look at a deal, I'm not looking at a deal as a commission salesperson who's trying to make a buck. I'm looking at a deal through the eyes of the lender to ask the questions the lender's going to ask. And in a hot market where lots of offers are made without financing conditions and pre-approvals aren't worth the paper they're written on because really they're just rate holds, you need somebody who at eight o'clock at night can tell you with a high degree of confidence whether or not there's going to be any issue with getting an approval. So that was number one, my lending experience. Number two, was because I'd worked in finance and I track what's happening in the markets on a daily basis, I can have an intelligent conversation with somebody about the factors around the world, both in Canada and abroad, that are affecting Canadian mortgage rates, and have an intelligent conversation with a borrower about whether or not a fixed or a variable might be the best way to go. Now, to be clear, everybody, fixed versus variable decision is, is individually based, and I never claimed to know, it wouldn't be responsible of me to do this, I never claimed to know what rates were going to do, But customers really value having an informed uh, opinion offered about what the future might look like. And having a finance background and tracking what's happening in the market on a daily basis meant that I could offer a level of sophistication to the interactions that not everybody could. I work in Midtown Toronto. A lot of my clients are buying second, third, and fourth homes. A lot of them work downtown. A lot of them come from the finance community. And if you're a real estate agent trying to sell in the high-end market, and that's your clientele, you want anyone you refer them to to offer a level of sophistication that is consistent with not just the borrower, but with the image that the real estate agent is trying to project. So to me, having the combination of a finance background and being able to have an intelligent conversation about where rates may be headed and what the future may hold, and being able to offer a lender's eyes on application outside of business hours were the two things that I said that that made me unique. Of course, I said I had great service. and. I could offer a very competitive rates, but I didn't lead with those because I just thought those claims were so ubiquitous they would they would
0: have little value, right, dude, I'm ready to hire you right now, so keep... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. i you know what, uh okay, so I gotta ask about a success quote because I'm normally supposed to get into that first, but this has been so awesome that I don't think anybody's gonna care. so I always like if you could share with us a quote that's really impacted your life or business, I feel like quotes from here something that I can, they're portable, I can take them with me and I can, they help remind me to keep on track. So can you share something that, that's really impacted you?
1: Well, I, I love quotes. So I'm i am right there with you. But off the top of my head, I guess success usually comes to those who are too busy to look for it. I, I think too many people wait around for the phone to ring and think that opportunities should be handed to them. And the people who are really successful don't leave anything to chance. I listened to a podcast you did with uh, Bernadette, a while back, and uh, she was terrific. I mean, she gets up at mm-hmm. the 4 o'clock in the morning, and she is not waiting for anybody to bring her business. She goes out there and grabs her by the throat, and uh, the least bit surprised that she's uh, so successful. There are lots of other great examples uh, of guys who, who just took the bull by the horns, and to me, in this business, the guys, I shouldn't say just guys, the, the men and women who do that are not surprisingly always going to be the successful ones.
0: Right. That's Awesome. And the other area that I find for me has been helpful is failure. And, and as a business owner and entrepreneur mortgage broker, I've definitely failed at things. But looking back, there was always a lesson. So can you share an example of something that you'd failed at, but looking back the lesson that you learned from it?
1: Sure, definitely. A great example I have early on is uh, is with, uh with search engine optimization. When I started my website, I wanted to be on the first page of Google for the term Toronto mortgage broker. And I spent uh, two grand on uh, a with an SEO company based in Montreal. Of course, they promised me the world they were going to get me to page one and my life was never going to be the same. And I lapped it all up with a spoon and wrote them a check. And they did all this junk on my website that didn't get me anywhere close to page one. And in the end, I was I was thoroughly disappointed. That two grand I spent in the first month in business, that was the last 2000 That was the last penny that I ever spent on any kind of advertising or promotion. Literally the last penny, unless you count the annual hosting fee of 500 bucks that I paid to my best friend for the right to have a website. I never advertised again. What I realized was that by blogging, and by writing about um, content-specific questions to do with mortgages that I could get to the page one of Google, not when you type in the search term Toronto Mortgage Broker, but if you type in what is title insurance or what is a reverse mortgage or should I refinance my mortgage or how do mortgage penalties work, I was getting to the front page of Google, uh, to the first page of Google for all of those search results because I was writing high-quality content that was targeted and specific and it was answering these questions. Better yet... Not only was I ending up on page one of Google, but if you get on page one for Toronto Mortgage Broker and people go to your site and you haven't updated any information in the dog's age and there's nothing there of any value, yes, you got that click. And even with Google AdWords, you get that click, but you haven't delivered anything of value that's going to cause that customer to want to pick up the phone and call you. When a customer types a specific search term into Google, and I've written now about 300,000 words on everything to do with mortgages, my posts average about 800 to 1,200 words each, and I've written several hundred of them when people do a specific search on Google and find my information and I teach them in a very clear and concise, well-written way, uh, what I give them the answer they're looking for, those people are far more compelled to pick up the phone and call me. And when they do, I don't have to sell to them Because I've already taught them something that they couldn't find anywhere else. Usually they look a whole bunch of places and mine's the best answer they can find. So the lesson I learned is that, you want to use another quote, uh, if something's too good to be, it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I thought for two grand I could be on page one of Google. No surprise with all the other mortgage brokers out there that A, it costs more than two grand and B, that lofty goal of being on page one for the search Toronto mortgage broker that everybody aspires to is in, in essence an empty achievement. It's a false goal because it doesn't give you anything of value what it taught me was there must be another way because I don't just want to keep spending this money. And I was disappointed with the results. So I took a different tack and said, forget advertising. I'm just going to create great content so that when people come to my site, they get what they're looking for and it's valuable to them and that'll make them call me. And that worked in space.
0: That's so awesome. So your initial failure of paying this SEO company, and I feel sometimes like those things are almost like a diet bill. They don't want to do the work, right? So it's like, hey, if I take this (laughs) diet bill, I can be thin, yeah. but you're like, no, dude, I've put 300,000 words. So I've been, you know, I've been out doing the work and now it's paying off, but you can't take a diet pill and be fit. And, and even if somebody did show up to your site, you'd have nothing there and they'd be like, oh, I'm gone. So you just, it was a waste. So. So, how? What kind of do you get a percentage of your business from that, like from the online versus the referral, or is it just reinforce the referrals?
1: Well, it's it, it's a combination. Number one, when a client is referred to me and they ask me a question on the phone, and when I'm done the conversation, I send them a follow up email five or ten minutes later that thanks them for their for their interest and says. On that question that you asked me, if you'd like a more detailed answer, here's a here's a post that I wrote that specifically covers that topic. There's value in that. What that does is it makes my client thickier, even if the blog post and the information wasn't the reason they came to me. It adds to my credibility. The other thing is I send them to my referral sources, so my referral sources can offer those with confidence to their borrowers. So it definitely enhances, um, if you think of referrals in terms of silos, it definitely leads to some business online. I get referrals from across the country. And if somebody calls me from Edmonton or Vancouver, it's because of my blog. So I'd say, and by the way, it took a long time to get any business as a result of that blogging. Most people would have quit and said, this is a waste of time, but I love doing it. And my mom is a former editor for Cop Clark Publishing. So I had free editing and boy, did I need it. I'm a good writer, but I'm, my, my grammar's lousy. And uh, there's a lot of red ink all over my post when I submit them to my mom and my dad. And that's awesome. They edit them up. And, and when it comes back, it's very clean. And so I have to thank them for that. And I'm lucky because uh, I get that for free. But I love to write. So for me, it was it was a passion that I was willing to stick with. It took a long time for me to start getting business uh, directly from blogging. I'd say today, anywhere from 15 to 30% of the new business that walks through the door comes strictly from people who've read my stuff on the web. Also, other sites pick up my stuff. So you get a bit of a spider web effect where if you write something really good, other people link to it or people will actually put my content directly on their site with a link back to my site uh, to make it fair, of course, because it's my content. But the other thing it does is it makes me much more credible with all of the other referrals that I get that have nothing to do with the website because then if they like me already, then I send them links and they say, wow, look, this guy writes well and look at all these explanations. It just enhances and deepens that relationship and adds to my credibility. So there's lots of value to it. But again, when most people blog, they write two blogs the first week, one blog the second week, and then six months before the next one. And if
0: you're going to do that, don't waste your time because all that says is I half-assed it. Excuse my language. Right. That's okay. Now I'll get an explicit rating on this podcast. Thanks so much, dude. Okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you about process. And I know that successful brokers I'm talking to always have a process and a system and they're willing to tweak those processes to get a better result. So can you share an administrative process that you maybe wasn't working as well as you'd like and then a tweak that you made and the outcome you got?
1: Well, I'm big on process because I don't even have an assistant i'm 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 of the mind that only I will care as much about the success of this business. Uh, I'm the only person who will care as much about the success of this business. And so I just, maybe I'm a control freak uh, or I want to keep my life simple because I don't have to manage a team anymore. But I like to run everything from soup to nuts. So I systematized everything early on. When I send somebody an email that says, here are your documents and they've been approved, or here's a list of what we need to provide to the lender, I have all of those emails saved from past emails that I've sent. And I cut and paste. Of course, I customize because you never want somebody to feel like they're getting a standardized email even when they are. Um, I'm sure my clients would forgive me for not hand typing a really long email full of generic descriptions of what's in the documents that I'm providing. But definitely recognizing when you're sending the same emails over and over again and systematizing those emails and being careful enough to customize them just enough so it doesn't feel like they've been systematized. That's number one. Number two is I keep a very detailed Excel spreadsheet of all of my funded deals all of my approved deals, all of my pre-approved deals, and all of my prospects. And I have a little unique coding system that I use that tracks everything. But basically, if I woke up in the morning and hit my head on the night table and forgot everything, I could walk into the office, sit down on my chair, and everything I needed to remember would be systematized and in front of me, so there's no chance that I would miss anything. And I think every successful broker would use that approach and really... The other thing that will help you do is sleep at night because when you're tossing and turning at night, it's usually because you want to make sure you don't forget something. Your brain isn't going to let something go because it's so important it doesn't want you to forget. When you have a good system in place and you trust it and you know it's foolproof and you're not going to forget anything, when you do go home at night and close your eyes, you get a good night's sleep.
0: Right. No, that's awesome. You actually sound a lot like Dustin Woodhouse. I was telling you off the air. You're like his his twin from out in Ontario. <laughs>
1: well, I should ask him to go for a beer sometime. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. you guys
0: would have a lot in common. You guys would be, <laughs> you're both like, you're, uh, you seem very identical. So I'm going to ask about a sales process now and we talked a little bit about the how you used blogging and article writing, but can you share about a, a sales process maybe that wasn't working as well as you would like and then a tweak that you made and the outcome you got?
1: You know, for me, it's hard. You know, I, I guess I, I try to think of an answer that's somewhat non-standard For me, one of the things that I um, have experimented with is the right amount of time to delay in responding to a client. And this isn't going to sound intuitive, but if somebody sends you an email and you respond five minutes later, of course, that was my first instinct in the business was to respond instantly and impress mm-hmm. them with how fast I could get back to them. Some people will think, well, if he could respond that quickly, it's kind of like a bad carpenter. If the guy can start tomorrow, maybe he's not that good.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> so where I've experimented specifically in that, in that area is I've actually delayed my response time by an hour or two so that it's still prompt, but it doesn't look like I'm sort of poised over my keyboard for, uh, for somebody to want to be my friend. So in terms of experimenting, I think I probably might have freaked out. I mean, I'm sure I impressed people with my quick response time in lots of cases, but I think there may have been a couple of times where I actually freaked somebody out when I was so fast to respond. So it's kind of an obscure example, but I'll you know, i try to give you an original answer that you might not have heard before, and, and, and that would be it. I think sometimes if you're responding in five minutes, maybe getting a cup of coffee and waiting for uh, for an hour to tick by uh, might might actually uh, be perceived by the, the person in your email.
0: Right now, that's, what, that's actually, I've never, that, you know what? 35 plus interviews, no one has ever said to me that before. <laughs> so the problem is I follow up too fast. So I've got to actually slow that down. So another theme that I've been hearing talking to people is this, I need to diversify your income. And there seems to be two camps that form. One says, nope, stick to mortgage brokering. That's enough. Another camp says, no, you should get wallet share and you should, you know, focus on other things. So I just want to know where you fall on that. And if you are focusing on diversifying, what area are you looking at?
1: I'm very much a specialist. One thing that I find is that once you've established credibility as an advisor to somebody, they will start asking you crazy questions that Quite frankly, you'd be surprised at what they would ask. I mean, I had a guy, I helped him with his mortgage and, and at the time he was doing his will and he, he started asking me about estate planning. You know, how much should I leave to my kids? Should I give it to them when they're 30 or should I wait till they're older? And it was all I could do. I mean, I've got opinions on that stuff and I've thought through that stuff in my own head, but I had to keep saying, you know, look, I, Really love to help you out, but I'm just not an expert on this topic, and I can recommend you to somebody who's good at what they do as I am on what I do, but I just don't think it'd be responsible of me to to give you an opinion on that. I don't believe in mortgage insurance. I think it's grossly inferior to lots of other kinds of insurance. I can't in good conscience sell it. I refer that business out and to good partners who send me business back. So I have figured out a way to, I guess, effectively monetize those opportunities just by enhancing credibility by saying, here's a product I get paid to sell that I don't sell because I don't believe in it so that certainly gives me enhanced credibility in the eyes of the client because they know I'm passing up the opportunity to make a buck because my credibility is more important. That's my personal belief. But because I do refer it to people who then in turn refer me business, it isn't like I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm just doing it in a way that I feel is better for my client. So I'm very much a specialist in mortgages. To me, the branching out in mortgages is that I do mostly prime business, but because I'd worked on the alternative side, I also do some non-prime stuff. So to me, diversifying is A and B, not Mm -hmm. mortgages and something else. And again, I listened to that interview by Bernadette and she made a great point, which is that if you're going to offer a service, you better be darn good at it. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to be excellent at insurance advice and excellent at mortgages. And the problem is if you're excellent at mortgages, but you also give insurance advice and you're lousy at insurance advice, then you've just polluted that credibility. In other words, somebody might not refer you when they otherwise would because in their minds, yeah, he was good with mortgages, but I really, I really didn't think much of that, that insurance advice he gave me. So I think you got to stick to what you're really good at. And if we ever end up in a situation where there's very little opportunity for mortgage growth and people basically can't make a living, then necessity being the mother of invention, maybe there would come a time when I would have to look at other opportunities, but I just can't see that happening. I think I would leave mortgages and start something new rather than try to be all things to all people.
0: Right. No, that's, a, that's an awesome answer. So I'm going to move to the rapid fire questions now. And so these you can answer with a little shorter answers if you like. And so what is the number sure. one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? Apathy. That's a good answer. That's one thing, apathy. And what one thing or habit do you think has made you successful?
1: I'm competitive as hell and I'm, it takes a long time before I close the book on an opportunity. I'm, I'm relentless. I just keep going. I mean, I don't piss people off, but i come close. I, I, I don't, I'm like a dog on <laughs> a bone. I don't let it go.
0: Like a pit bull. So do you have an internet resource or a software program you use to make your business more successful?
1: I don't. I've experimented with them, but I found that I could create a lot of what they provide in uh, an Excel spreadsheet. And Vi was the one who built the whole thing. I know every inch of it.
0: I trust it more. Right. If you had one book you could recommend for our listeners, what would it be? Well,
1: there's two. One's been recommended on your show before, which is High Trust Trust Selling by by Todd Duncan. The other one would be uh, Crush It. And I can't remember the guy's name. Gary Vaynerchuk. He, yeah, Vaynerchuk. A yeah. very good book that I read when I was starting up my website that, that gave me a lot of inspiration and, and I think helped me build the site that I have today.
0: Right. He's in the wine business. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, so where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity?
1: I think that uh, mortgage brokers will continue to grow share. And I think the opportunity is simply to take over a bigger uh, chunk of the market. And 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 here's why. Rate sites have taken the easy money out of the market. Ten years ago, there were people who could offer rates that were half a point lower than what the banks were offering, and they could win in spite of themselves. Rate sites uh, today mean that customers who are only focused on price will probably end up there. But there are other customers who, if you could deliver value and offer truly unique services, I think there will always be customers who value top-notch advice and experience and stewardship of the deal, very professional stewardship of the deal. And what the rate sites have done is they've killed off the weaker competitors. And every form of market disruption does this in every industry. So it's a perfectly natural thing that, quite mm-hmm. frankly, is inevitable. But I think that the brokers who are left a few years from now will only be those top-notch pros who really offer that service and expertise that some folks value to the point where they're willing to pay something above the lowest available rate because they get better service and better advice. And the banks have gone the other way and have massively expanded their sales forces. And people tell me all the time when they go into a bank, after they've talked to me, they end up teaching the mortgage rep at the bank a lot of what I taught them because they're so amazed at how little they actually know. So as the rate sites kill off the weak brokers and only the stronger brokers are left, I think it better differentiates us between the advice that's offered by the mobile mortgage specialist sitting in most of the banks. And as that happens, I think there'll be an increased level of demand as the quality of mortgage broker advice increases, and I think that'll lead to increased market share.
0: Dude, that's an awesome answer. I could see that in a news headline, rate sites kill weak brokers, <laughs> news at five or something.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because I read these comments that people make about these rate, sites, uh, these rate sites, and it's like they think that they're evil and that uh, they wish hard enough <clears throat> that they'll just go away. And to me, uh, you can look at any industry from the travel industry to the insurance industry, you name it. There are there are periods where the industry is just growing faster than the demand just grows faster than the supply can keep up with, and there's easy opportunity for people then to just show up, hang out a shingle, and make money hand over fist. Uh, and it doesn't last. Uh, even look at lawyers for example. So much of what lawyers used to ch- t- charge top dollar for now is has been commoditized to the point where mm-hmm. only expert lawyer, uh, legal advice is is uh, earns that four or five hundred dollars an hour that used to be standard course a decade ago. So rather than rail against this and wring your hands, quietly tell lenders that they shouldn't be offering the same rates to these rate sites and uh, and, and essentially wish for it to go away, I think people should just accept that this is a normal part of competition. And you got to wake up every morning and ask yourself that question I referred to a few minutes ago, which is, why me? If you don't have a good answer to the question, why me? And my answer on this chat wasn't even very good because I took Two or three minutes to answer the question. you got to get it out in a sentence or two. The old elevator pitch. By the Mm -hmm. time you get to the first floor to the 10th floor, your pitch should be done. Uh, That's about 30 seconds. If you can't answer that question, why me? Then your days are limited. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I heard someone one of my guests the other day said to me, "Don't wish you were, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better." And I totally that would, when you were saying that's that a great quote, and I'm like, I love that quote. I'm like, you know, because yeah. it's easy to be like, "Oh, I wish it was easier. I wish, wish," but like, no, wish you were better, man. And and there's still opportunity if you you know want to do the work, but people don't want to do the work, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a fabulous quote, and I, I read that quote too and remembered it as well. I think it's it's a great one. So and this is my last question. One of my favorites, the DeLorean. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yes. So in the movie, the DeLorean can travel in time. So if I get the DeLorean, I set the time to your first day as a mortgage broker and you could go back and visit yourself and you'd be, you'd give yourself three pieces of advice so that your business would be bigger, better today. What three things would you tell yourself to improve your business?
1: Don't waste time on SEOs or don't waste money on SEOs. Every client is not worth your time. I've learned, uh, after many years in this business that, uh, some clients just Aren't loyal and don't value top notch advice and, uh, and will leave you anyway. So figure out who they are and don't waste your time on them. So no, don't waste money on SEOs. Don't, I guess, place a value on your time and enforce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, don't take every client. And I guess the other thing I'd tell myself is to cultivate my referral sources uh, a little more. I have always provided great service to the clients that come to me through referral sources and I've always thanked the referral sources. But I think that those relationships are important enough that I ought to be willing to go out for a dinner or a beer and spend a little bit more quality time with those referral sources because uh, that, that does count.
0: Right. That's awesome. So where can people find you online?
1: I'm at moreplan.ca. My old URL was integratedmortgageplanners.com, but I got tired of saying it and people got tired of writing it. So I, the fastest way to get to my website is M-O-R-P-L-A-N, moreplan, with no E, .ca. And it'll take you to my, my website, which is
0: integratedmortgageplanners.com. And are you guys hiring at all? Nope, just me. Right. I, I knew you were going to say that, but I asked everybody. So I, I'm like, I, I knew in my mind. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be like, why am I going to hire somebody? Someday maybe, but but not today. Right. So they, this interview has been awesome. I feel like my hair has been blown back by the just our conversation. <laughs> and I know that people are going to get a lot of value from it. So if anybody's listening, they can go to I ilovemortgagebrokering.com. They can get uh, links to, to, your, to your site. They can get show notes. And man, I hope you continue to crush the rest of your year. And yeah, maybe I'll see you one of these days at a conference. <laughs> okay. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or or a tip, and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokingcom slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing. Since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.